This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, go with me today to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin right there in verse 18 through verses 23. I'll be reading from the NLT version today. Beginning in verse 18, it says this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Verse 23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The title of my message this morning is God with us. And today, I want to help you to experience the glory and the goodness of God's life-giving presence through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God's one and only beloved son. Jesus is ultimately the reason why we celebrate the Christmas season or Advent. Anybody love unwrapping presents on Christmas? I love unwrapping presents on Christmas. When I was a child, I used to get so excited about Christmas morning that I would actually go downstairs in the middle of the night and sleep next to the presents. (laughs) When we lived in Sacramento, California, some years it would get kind of cold in our house. And so sometimes I'd take a little heater with me. And I'd plug that heater in next to the Christmas tree and I'd just lay down there next to the presents and I'd just grab them and grip them because I was so excited as a child to unwrap everything. And my parents would come down in the morning and they would see me lying there asleep, gripping these presents with a little heater turned on next to me and they thought I was the strangest kid ever. And the truth is, nothing's really changed. I still love unwrapping and receiving gifts. I love presence. Anybody else like me? There's something just marvelous about receiving a good gift. You see, I believe Matthew in in chapter one here is attesting to the greatest gift that could ever be given to us. And it's this, that our heavenly father would give us Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the gift that came to us over 2,000 years ago, for those of you doing the math, and it was wrapped not with pretty bows or fancy paper. It was wrapped in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And so today, I want to take a little time to encourage us as the people of God, as the church, as a courageous people seeking Jesus to make more room for this gift in our life, to make room for the presence of Jesus. And I believe that as we lean in to receive and take hold of this good gift, that our response should be like the old Christmas carol says, let every heart prepare him room. 
Today, I want to look at three practical ways that I think we can do this, that we can prepare room for this good gift of God in our life, for the presence of Jesus. No, I'm not talking about the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S of Jesus, although I love those presents. I'm talking about the P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E of God, the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. The first way I believe that we do this is by drawing near to him. So for those of you taking notes today, number one is simply this, draw near. Draw near. James 4.8 in the ESV says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice it doesn't say draw near to God and he might draw near to you. Notice it doesn't say draw near to God and he could draw near to you. It says he will draw near to you. In other words, it's a promise of God that when you and I draw close to him, he will draw close to us. Now, there's something really interesting about the original language here that I want to help us unpack because I believe it will change your perspective of what it means to draw near to God. In the Greek, the word used to draw near is actually one word, and it's egiso, almost like ego, And it literally means to join one thing to another. So it's not just about proximity. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of connection. It's a word of entering into. And in this sense, our drawing near to God is more about really yielding to the life of his spirit that's now at work in us. And so as you draw near, as you yield, as you surrender, as Grant said last week, as you join your heart to his, as you take this one other thing and join it to his in closeness, I believe, as the scriptures promise us here, that you will experience his presence. How many of you know that you need the presence of God in your life? How many of you want the presence of God in your life? I want the presence of God in my life. But the scriptures here are very clear that we have a part to play. And that part is you and I making a decision to draw near. For some of us, I would even be as bold to say that we're not experiencing his presence the way that we want to because we're not drawing near. We're not drawing near. In fact, we're doing everything but this one thing. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way through prayer. You and I can, can speak and declare the mysteries of our heart to God. We can disclose the secrets of our souls and be in an ongoing conversation with him all throughout the day. Through worship, we can lay our hearts on his holy altar and adore him and enthrone him on our praise and make him the number one priority of our hearts. And through reading his word, we can hear his voice. We can begin to train our minds and our souls and our hearts to hear him speak. We can do this every day. One of my professors once said, Jason, Jesus has given you enough time in your day to do exactly what he wants of you. I'll say it again. Jesus has given you and me enough time to take care of all of our to-dos. So therefore, our priority should not be, what can I get done today, but rather, how can I spend time with Jesus? Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Join your heart to mine, and I will join my heart to you. If you want the desires of God for your life, then you need to bring your heart to him every day and say, God, here I am. Fill me. Speak to me. I'm yours And as a practice, as we become the kinds of people that do this because we want to, not because we have to, 
Come on, there's a big difference between going to God because you need something, because your life's in crisis, because the bill came and you don't got enough money in your account to take care of it. Oh, Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, where are you? There's a big difference between going to him because you need something and going to him because you want to spend time with him. An analogy would be, you know, spending time with my wife. I don't go to Candace to spend time with her because I have to. I go to spend time with her because I want to. Because I love this woman. And so it's my desire to egiso, to draw near to her, to join this one thing to another. And so in that sense, it really is a marriage of your soul and your heart with his heart. And so maybe this year, instead of being so quick to draw near to the remote control, to load our latest Netflix queue, come on, preaching to myself now. Maybe instead of being so quick to draw near to social media and Facetagram, Facetagram, I just made up a word. <laughs> See what I did? I joined the one thing to the other. <laughs> maybe instead of being so quick to draw close to your list of to-dos, maybe instead we run into the arms of Jesus. And we're quick to become a people that draw close to him. And I don't think we have to over-spiritualize at church. I think we can do this every day in practical ways. Sometimes it's just learning to carve out time, a little bit of space that's yours and his alone. My hope for you today is that you would, as I'm speaking, hear the voice of God speak to your heart about ways in which you can make him the priority of your life. Ways in which you can just very subtly make the shift to having to spend time because you need something, to wanting to spend time because you want to love on your Savior, because you know that he's worthy of all of your praise and worship and adoration and every good thing that you could pour out at his feet in worship, because you love to speak to him in, th in and through prayer, because you love to read his word and hear what he has to say for your life. That's my hope for us today, that we would become the kinds of people that draw near to him. And here's the truth. He wants to draw near to you more than you do him. He longs, his spirit longs to draw close to you more than you know. So number one, we want to draw near to him knowing that he will draw near to us. Number two, once we draw near, we wait and listen. Now this is hard, especially for people like me who've got the gift of gab. Come on, anybody else know what I'm talking about? Matt does. You and me, brother. This is hard. Because our tendency is to want to speak. Our tendency is to want to tell people what we believe and think. We've got something to say and everybody's got an opinion and everyone has a voice. Praise God that we have the opportunity to have a voice. But here's the thing I've noticed. It's really simple sometimes to overlook the beauty of coming and drawing near to God and then waiting on him. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 130. This is a psalm of ascent. It's highly believed to have been written by David while he was being persecuted by King Saul, while he was in personal anguish. And here's what David said, and I can relate to David because David's a little bit of an emo guy. He's up, he's got these amazing highs and these amazing lows. He's emotional and he's exaggerative and he laments and he praises and he dances and he gets a little crazy, but then sometimes he goes into the pit of despair and woe is me and God, you might as well end me and I don't know what to do. So I can relate to a guy like David and here David is writing a psalm because of what his soul is going through as he's being persecuted by the king and he says this in verses five and six, I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Curiously, many times we overlook or miss the presence of God by not waiting on him. Instead, we rush into the next moment in a frenzy or a hurry. This is true about our culture. It's so hard for us to wait and not be in a hurry for things when everything in our culture today is designed to help us hurry. I mean, that's what drive throughs are for. And I mean, I gotta say, praise God, when Candace ain't cooking and it's my watch and I don't got a lot of time, I'm like, I got stuff to do. I'm in a hurry. That Burger King drive is looking pretty good right now. I got three hungry mouths to feed. Come on, let's get this thing done so I can get on to the next thing. And, and we don't like to wait for our packages. So Amazon said, you know what? We're gonna put together this little thing called Amazon Prime. And now you don't have to wait three to five business days. We'll get it to you in two days. And now, same day delivery. And they're building a place right out wherever we are, somewhere, so that you and I don't have to wait for anything. You need groceries? Same day delivery. You need a new Blu-ray player? Same day delivery. We don't want to wait. And everything is being tailored, and, and might I say microwaved, and sped up to cause us to not have to wait. But the invitation that the Lord sets before us is to wait and listen. It's to slow down. It's to say la, to take a breath, to just not be in such a hurry. When my kids were little, I don't know what TV program this was, but they used to sing this little song. Don't be in such a hurry. Don't be in such a hurry. And my kids loved it when I would sing that to them. And the truth is, is that sometimes I feel like the father's wanting to sing that song to us. Don't be in such a hurry. My presence is here for you, but you're rushing on to the next thing because you've got places to go and people to see, money to make. Wait and listen. And how do we do that exactly? Well, I love that the Psalms show us how. The psalmist says, and I want you to notice the progression here of how, how David waits on the Lord. The scriptures say that his soul waits. His soul waits. His entire person, his essence, his mind, his will, his emotions, they're waiting on, anticipating the Lord. But he's not just waiting. His soul waits, but his soul waits with hope. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Hope is the expectation that God's going to do something good. But not only does his soul wait, and his soul wait with hope, his soul waits with hope in God's word. With hopeful expectation, David longs to hear the voice of the Lord. At this time, the Bible wasn't even written yet. So what David's talking about isn't the written word. He's literally talking about that voice of God in his life. And so his soul waits with hope in the word of the Lord. And then it goes on to say, his soul waits with hope for the Lord to speak just like a watchman waits for morning. There's a fervent intensity. There's a, a watchfulness, a carefulness, an intensity at which his soul waits. I wonder, do you and I wait that way? We stare at our watch. Oh, this has been fun. 
All right, God, where are you? I haven't heard you speak. It's been 30 seconds. Come on. And here David is as the psalmist writing this beautiful love song to God. And he's saying, my soul, the essence of who you are as a person waits. And I do so with hopeful expectation that you're going to speak. And I'll be sitting here all night on the walls just waiting for your word to come. That's the invitation for you and I. It's to wait and to listen like that. Curiously, have you learned how to wait on God? Does your soul long for him the way the psalmist says? My encouragement for us today would be to take some time to wait on God and to do so with the hope and the expectation that he's going to speak to you. That's actually how I pray now. As a younger man, I used to pray with the hope that God might speak Now I pray with the hopeful expectation that he will speak. He always does. He doesn't always do it according to my time frame, but he always speaks. He always responds when I wait on him with hope. I've found this to be true. God doesn't always move quickly, but he often moves suddenly. Can I say that again for you? God doesn't always move quickly. He doesn't always speak quickly, but he often moves suddenly. He often speaks suddenly. So therefore, it is on us to learn how to wait on him in such a way that we're ready for the sudden move and response of God. To wait on him with hopeful expectation like the watchman waits for morning. God, you're going to speak. And it may not be this moment, but I know it's coming. And God says, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm ready to respond to. And it may not always happen quickly, but it often happens suddenly. I wonder, are we ready for the sudden response of God in our life? For the suddenlies of God to come along and grip us? Well, I think it has a little something to do with our ability to draw near and to learn to wait and to listen. The truth is, just like drawing near to him, he longs to speak to you. So practically speaking, here's my my pastoral challenge to us is to carve out time to wait and listen. It's to give God room and margin within our lives. That's not at the bottom of the list after all the chores have been done and the bills have been paid and we've done our work and we've seen our people. But at the top of that list, is God number one on the top of your list? The top of your agenda? If he's not, what better time than now to make a change? What better time than now? Because I would say to us, we're missing out. So we draw near. And number two, we wait and listen. And number three, we respond and obey. James chapter one, verses 22 through 25 says this in the NLT. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word, but not obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you then walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then, then, after that, God will bless you for doing it. Come on, God wants you to be blessed. I don't believe that he wants us to walk around poverty-stricken, hurt, maimed, depressed, dysfunctional. He wants you to be blessed. There, I said it, hashtag it. But it's conditional if you do what the word says. 
Mm, I don't know about that. I just kind of want God to bless me. I just want to live that hashtag blessed life. And I expect that God's just going to, you know, reinforce my decisions and choices and just put his grace on top of it. Just bless my mess, Jesus. But that's not what the word says. That's not what James cautions us to hear. He says, don't just listen to the word, but do what God says. Do what it says. I believe that experiencing more of God's presence in our lives is predicated upon our ability and willingness to respond. And not just to respond, but to respond and obey. This is so crucial. And this last step is so importantly, sadly, there are so many Christians today walking around looking and searching for answers and provision, longing to experience the glory and the manifest presence of God. But they're not responding to what he's already said to do in his word. Come on, this is an indictment on all of us. I just get to live it out in front of you. I'm preaching to myself today. God says, Jason, you want the answer, but I've already given you the answer. Have you responded by obeying me? If you haven't, your delayed obedience is still disobedience. And maybe it's time we go back to the last time we heard him speak and we do what he said to do. Last time we heard him real clearly. Don't fool yourself, James says. Do what it says. And then God will bless you. As the people of God, as the courageous followers of Jesus, he's calling us to be a people that respond and obey. In other words, we follow through. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. We do what the word of God tells us to do. So we draw near, we wait and listen, and then we respond with action. And here's what I know about the Lord. He won't force your hand. He's not going to force you and I to respond. You can only do so willingly. So when God speaks to your heart about giving, you can either respond or you can ignore him. So when God speaks to you about serving someone, you can either respond or you can ignore him. When God moves on your heart to pick up that piece of trash that 25 people just walked past, you can either respond or ignore him. We have that choice, but it's our response that I believe frees us or inhibits us from experiencing more of God's presence, more of who he is, more of this Emmanuel in our lives. He puts that choice before us every day. The scriptures say this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 in the NLT, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings? Your sacrifices? All the ways in which you impress the people of God with all of your good deeds? What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Hello, Wait a second, God, I thought you were impressed with my awesome offering. I thought you were impressed with the ways in which I fed the poor and the ways in which I served my wife and family well. I thought that I would go through all the motions and do all the deeds and give you the fat of rams and make my burnt sacrifices and offerings and do all of that and you'd be pleased with me. And God goes, you know what? You wanna know what's more pleasing to me? Your obedience. Hello, obedience is better than sacrifice. Wow. What a revolutionary statement from God to his people. Obedience is better than sacrifice. At the end of the day, if you want to experience the more of Jesus and God in your life, that I would encourage you to ask yourself this question. Am I obeying his voice? Am I responding to what he's asked of me? 
This is a question for all of us that we need to go on asking ourselves each and every day. He places before us choices each and every day. Blessing or cursing? Life or death? And you know what the difference is? Your willingness to obey him, to respond and obey. And this is hard. And it's meant to be a little prickly this morning because I believe God wants you blessed. But he wants you to be blessed by responding to him with obedience, Alex. By responding to him with obedience, Nathan. By responding to him with obedience, Mariela. He wants you guys blessed. He wants me blessed. Because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's perfect in all of his ways. Do we believe that? Come on, I know Chris Tomlin believes it. But do you and I believe it? Is he a good, good father? Jesus said, my father longs to give you good gifts. Your fathers, who are evil, they know how to give you good stuff. But how much more so does your heavenly father want to bless you and give you good things? But here's what James says. You've got to do what the word says. You've got to respond and obey. And I believe that the burden of every man and every woman before God is absolutely the same. Whether you're a heart surgeon, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a missionary, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever you have been called to in life, I believe the burden of God upon your life and mine is the same. And here it is. It's to obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus goes, but if you really, really love me, Jesus, you know that I really like you. But, but if you love me, you will obey my commands. Well, <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you know my heart. You know that I try. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know your heart. I know that it's a wretched, wrecked, messed up thing full of wickedness that desperately needs my hand of correction. Come on, Grant. That desperately needs the rod and the staff to come along and to bring it into submission. And James says this, he says, don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid. And, and 1 Samuel says, don't be afraid of this. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams, giving God your best. Obedience. If you love me, you'll obey me. Do we love him, church? Yes. Praise God, we love him. As a church, we are called to equip and empower people, number one, to love. To love and then to follow, and then to serve Jesus courageously. But it starts with your decision to love him. And if you love him, you'll obey him. I tell my kids that all the time. They look at me funny and they laugh. Guys, if you love me, you'll obey me. They're like, Dad, you're so funny. <laughs> Dad. If you love me, guys, you'll take the clothes that your mom folded for you that are sitting there on the couch up to your rooms and put them away. <laughs> Dad. You know my heart. You know that I love you. How come the clothes are still sitting there? Dad. But isn't that what we do? We let ourselves off the hook, give ourselves little excuses, high five each other. <laughs> we know each other's hearts. Yeah, it's all good. And God says, listen, I know you. I know your antics. And I'm still in love with you. But would you obey me? Because guess what? And here's what I've learned. When we respond and obey, it's for our own good. God is trying to lead us as his little lambs to blessing. God wants to lead us into every good thing. 
He says, you don't even know. Your mind can't even fathom the good things that I have in store for you. And the scripture says this, no mind can fathom what God has prepared for those that what? Love him. And Jesus says, and if you love me, you'll obey me. So they're linked. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. That's what I tell my kids, and that's what I tell myself. Because I need this message, church. Because there are ways in which God is constantly stretching my faith and challenging my obedience gap. Come on. Where are you at today in that? Some of you love to draw near. Hallelujah. I'm here for you. Some of you love to wait and listen because you're just great listeners. You got that gold star in kindergarten. Great listener. And you took that to heart. But how's your obedience? How's your obedience? Maybe you're here today and it's great. And for you, praise God. Keep obeying the Lord. And as you obey him, know that he's going to lead you from strength to strength and from glory to glory, from one good thing to the next good thing, because he's a good father and he loves to give us good things. We just got to learn to trust him. And you know how we spell trust? O-B-E-Y. How do you trust the Lord? By obeying him. That's really the question today. Where's your trust at? If it really is where you say it is, then the Lord's going to test that. And he tests that with me constantly. And there's times where I... I leave the clothes folded on the couch. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you know my heart. You know, I sing really good for you. I write you a good song and I'm doing my thing. Jesus, it's you and me. We're bros. You're my homeboy. Come on. Abba, Abba, Father, you're my daddy. You know, all that good stuff. And he's like, yeah, but I'm still an awesome and fearful Lord. And I'm jealous for you in a way that you don't understand. And I just, I wish you'd just trust me in this little area. Just give me this margin. Just come on in. Just, just wait. I'm going to speak. Okay, now that I've spoken, would you just do it? Would you just respond? Would you just obey? It's not hard, I promise. I know it's scary. I know it's scary, but it's for our good. So we learn to draw near. We learn to wait and to listen. And then we respond with obedience because obedience is better than any sacrifice you can ever make. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at CourageousChurch.com.